everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are tackling why leadership development programs fail. Global corporate training spending has been steadily increasing over the past several years, with leadership development industry taking the lead on the percentage of spend with a total spend of $370 billion in 2019. $370 billion with a B. Now, what are we getting for that spend? Apparently not a lot. As a McKinsey study claimed that 75% of organizational leaders feel that programs are not adding value. So the question on the table today is, knowing what we know about why leadership programs fail, how can we mitigate the risk of failure and further take leadership development into the 21st century? So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Well, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to this week's Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where we are talking about why leadership development programs fail. You know, I thought about that title and I I thought, well, that's kind of a negative title to work off of. But it's true. (laughs) It's like there was no sugarcoating that particular topic. Right. And the shocker of me was for me was when I was doing my research and I saw that back in 2019 that leadership development programs were an over $300 billion industry. That's huge. So huge. And when you go back though and you look at surveys that come out of McKinsey and come out of HBR, clearly CEOs are saying that they're not working, that they're not finding value. So we have a real big disconnect here. We're still spending all of this money, I guess, using hope as a strategy, you know, for leadership development. And it's not really working in our favor. So now my question today for everyone is, if we were to look at leadership development in the future, And the future could be five minutes from now or a year from now or five years from now. What would it look like? How would we avoid some of the issues that we've experienced in the past, help mitigate those issues and bring more success for what is arguably something that's really important for organizations? I mean, it is the right thing to do for sure. Are we doing it for the right reasons? Now, that could be an argument in of itself. But now what? What are the next steps that we should be taking? So what I'm curious to find out first is what are some of the common challenges that you're facing? Let's talk about common challenges first, and then we'll think about how can we mitigate some of those challenges as we move towards the future. I've got lots to say on this topic, so I was very excited to make an appearance. I'm going to talk from a South African perspective, but I'm sure a lot of it is very um, universal. The challenges that I've seen here in South Africa revolve around uh, probably three three areas that I've picked up. 
First is that leadership development is not focused on self. So you dive straight into how to be a better leader. And what's always missing is the chunk on who am I? So the leaders themselves have never delved into understanding self-mastery and their impact, who they actually are as individuals. So, And I think that's directly linked to me to mindset. So are people, do people have the right mindset around why they are leaders and why they need to be developed? And then the other, the other thing that I notice is trends. So if there's a trend in leadership, then organizations seem to latch onto that trend and throw it into an intervention and go, right, leaders, we're going to, everyone must go through this, this trend. So there's very little investigation into my organization, what my management style is like, the gaps in my leadership. It's like, well, there's a one-hit wonder, a one-shop fits all. Let's just throw it at, at all the leaders and, and hopefully it, it will work. Uh, absolutely. And I'm sure that sounds familiar to most of you. I see nods. I see nods. I'm going to pick somebody, Andrea. Andrea, you are nodding emphatically. So what are your thoughts around what David had to say? Well, I'm right there with you, David. Um, I can only speak for my own organization and what I see us doing, but Rather than starting with a plan, which would be to start with the self and develop that person and look at our organization, what do we need, all of that, I tend to get directives from above that say, I want you to spend an hour, you have 60 minutes, and you can do six sessions, so you get all the leaders in the company, and we want to talk about X, and then trying to get them to understand understand that we don't really have a leadership development program, we have a bunch of bullet points that You've given me and told me I have 60 minutes and everybody needs to get this. A comprehensive plan is needed and it does need to start with looking at that person as an individual. And I don't find there's an appetite for taking that kind of time. That's my frustration. Yeah. And I love what you just said there, that it's not leadership, it's bullet points. That is truth on wheels right there, Andrea, for sure. And I see this, I'm sure you guys all see this, is where that one size fits all mantra. So one size fits all benefits nobody, right? So training for everyone benefits no one. So now let's take that particular issue because I think we can all agree that we have all experienced that particular issue. Now what can we do to help the organization see through that issue? How can we be a better business partner to them? How do we do that? And and if any of you have had success here, I would love to hear from you. I think what you're saying is an important point that the challenge I have found over the years too is not just things that were mentioned, but it's time. And it's also the program is one thing but it's really what they get after that program and whether it's their manager continually helping them apply what they learned or finding ways to apply what they've learned to the program afterwards to keep them developing. I think that's a challenge too, because sometimes I think they go to the training, they're very busy, Mm -hmm. they try to get what they can get and their manager knows they went, but there's no real concrete follow through from the manager or from the organization to make sure that they're implementing what they've learned. And I would agree with that. I would agree with that. At uh, Vivo Team, one of the successes that we found, the way we found to get people interested, more interested in uh, leadership and development, team development, 
is with the people analytics, because if we can show where teams and or leaders are not very effective and how they can become effective, that kind of gets the attention of the uh, C-suite and the decision makers. And particularly in these times, because C-suite is beginning to realize that companies run by people. <laughs> if, if you don't develop your people, you ain't gonna have a company or at least they're all gonna leave and go somewhere else. We have found in the last year and a half that that has been a very important, useful way of at least paying attention and committing to a longer program. The issue is, is we have a lot of what I call learning theater around leadership. So we develop a leadership program so we can point to it and go, we have a leadership program. We develop a program for BME employees and go, look, we have a program for BME employees. We develop a program for women and go, look, we have a program for women. But fundamentally, what we're doing is developing ability, but not capacity. So we're not building the structures within the organization in order to make these things work. So what happens is, is people go through a program and then nothing changes. So they leave. And part of the problem is, is because we're not counting the right data. We can count the data on the number of people who've been on it. We can count the data on the activities that they complete. We can count the data of who they've shared it with and what they think of it. But we don't have any data on the number of people who are promoted as a result, the retention periods of senior managers, where people move to and where they're promoted to, the business impact through internal controls or employee satisfaction or customer service, let alone business result. And I think L&D, we need to step up to the business effect and be a lot clearer on what the leadership program is going to do in terms of the bottom line business, as well as all of the other organizational effect. Right, and thank you for that. And so now would you take the position of, if the uh, leadership is still struggling with this, that it's sharing with them what the business could turn into. If you do not look at this data, if you do not look at the outputs, then it's going to take a dangerous turn. So is it fair to say that, that we should be having that conversation? Absolutely. The, the difficulty is, is that Seth Godin sums this up quite nicely. He says that bureaucracy is the scaffolding of success. So what happens is, is an organization was successful. And what we do is we build a program that replicates that success. And that becomes the scaffolding around the success itself. That then makes it very difficult to not do that program any longer because the organization perceives that the success came as a result of that program or that the program lead will lead to that success. So to then say that program doesn't need to be run anymore, you're challenging the success that is attached to it. And that right. means taking the scaffolding down. I see Laura's nodding her head because she gets it. Yeah, <laughs> I've worked in local government, Laura, you and I know each other. So yeah, we know this. We know this. And what happens is the bureaucracy around the program becomes more important than the program in itself. I love that. And that is so true. We do tie in success to the program, not necessarily the program outputs, right? That is a very important point that we could all take to heart. So, Laura, would you like to piggyback there on what Andrew was just saying? No, <laughs> I think he, I think he summed it up beautifully. <laughs> I am very interested in delving a bit deeper into the analytics because Jim also mentioned that as, as well as Andrew. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to some extent that holy grail is, is about the analytics and what have people found 
have managed to sway that either signing up to a leadership development program and getting that that C-suite buy-in or managerial buy-in and what actually hasn't worked (laughs) as well. Right. Yes. And I see, and I'd love to hear from Jim a little bit more, but I see Victoria has her hand up. So I'm going to go to Victoria next. So Victoria, what are your thoughts here? So first of all, this is really timely because we just started leadership development program within my organization at the beginning of the year. Speaking to the analytics point, you know, I think a lot of this was building the case for us to, to even get to this point, to bring in an external consultant, but showing, you know, where are we at as an organization? And, and like many organizations right now, we're dealing with a great resignation. People are leaving um, and going to other places. And so you know, being able to tie in this effort to you know, help combat some of these challenges that we're seeing as an organization. And the great resignation is just one of them. But also just taking the data that we heard from our own manager group at the, at the lower levels for saying, you know, I got, I got promoted and I, I don't feel equipped to do this job. I'd really love to have some help. So being able to take those data points and go to our leadership, our senior leadership team and say, hey, these are the things that we're hearing. And, you know, if we can invest the time, and I, you know, going back to some of the things we've heard earlier with the challenges, time has absolutely been an issue for us when everyone's like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time. But like, we don't have time not to invest in it. Because if we don't do this, we're going to continue to just be status quo and we're going to continue to lose people. And we're going to have a whole manager group who are completely frustrated that they don't feel equipped to do their jobs capably. I completely agree with that. Is we we don't have time to not do this. I think you said something really important is that we put people, especially younger managers, through something as large as a leadership development program. And then they come out the end really not being able to do anything with a lot of what they've experienced. And we're not thinking about is that the right place for them? You know, is this the right environment? Are these the right topics? Is this really something that they're going to find useful in what they're doing, right? Are they going to be able to practice those skills? So I think sometimes with younger managers or new managers, we leap over management development or supervisory development and dive them directly into something as big and theoretical as leadership development. And so hence, that's why they come out the back end, not feeling as though they've got anything to hold on to. So I think that that was a really important point. So thank you for that. So one of the things is we make the case in terms of looking at how effective the team and the leader is, and we point to very specific sets of behaviors. We call it the six key indicators of team effectiveness emotional intelligence, communication, accountability, cohesion, that kind of thing. And then the other point of interest for most people is we have a measure of having the leader, their perception of their behaviors, and then having the team members identify their perception of the leader behaviors. So that can pinpoint and it really helped the leader to specifically work at beginning to improve those behaviors in conversation with their team members. The other thing we do is we calculate the cost of lost productivity in dollars. Mm -hmm. 
through all of our, what we call the vital statistics report. The most important part of that has to do with, okay, if you're 60% effective, your cost of loss of activity is really up here. And if you gain 10%, this is what you will gain. And in terms of, I mentioned that we get uh, multi-year programs because at the beginning, we do the diagnosis, analytics, prescription, description, evaluation kind of thing. And at the end of a section of our programs, we do another VSR and people can see where they have picked up or not. And what has how that's been very successful is then they can see the ROI and they say, oh, this is working. We involve the C-suite in ongoing check-ins with them on a regular basis. That's the key, isn't it? Yes, yes. And they begin to see, oh, this is really doing something. The other thing we do is we require, let's say a leader has 10 team members. We require that the 10 team members do a a small portion of what the leader is taking. And every week they have to report that to the leader. The other thing we do is we have the leader report to their next level manager about their progress. Because our assumption is, that the next level manager is the most important person in your career development. That's kind of a summary. Right. Just so I understand. So you're saying the manager who's gone through the leadership training reports up to their manager? Yes. During the program, they're required to report to their next level manager on a regular basis. Got it. And what does that look like? Is that some sort of a formalized one-to-one or is it an informal conversation? What does that look like? When we do it for the first time, we set the agenda for them, 10 minute conversation, that's it. Focuses on what are you learning, how's it going kind of thing. Later on, they can go more more free flow, but in the beginning, they're not very good at that kind of stuff, right? Right. right? And it's required for the leader in the program to initiate their conversation with the next level manager, not the other way around. I like that. And I like that it's short. So this way, everybody feels as though it's, they can do 10 minutes. If you can't do 10 minutes, then there's a bigger issue afoot. If you cannot find 10 minutes, you know, for somebody. So I really like that. And I like that you're adding guidance to that because you're right. A lot of people going through programs like this, they don't know what to talk about. They don't know what they're supposed to express or, or whether or not even it's in safe environment you know, to talk about certain things. And so I think that it's a great idea just to sort of dip their toe into that follow-up conversation and then they can broaden that up. We also do one-to-two coaching with the leaders. So the leaders in the program pair up and they do a, the coach works with two people at one time, two leaders, because that really helps people uh, share things. So for example, we may have somebody in LA, a leader in LA and a leader in New York, they learn to share experiences. Oh, I didn't know that was going on in the company. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I love that, especially, you know, if you're working across departments, across divisions, across demographics, right, logistically, I, it's really great to be able to have all of those different voices and opinions. So, yes, thank you for that. So, Lynn, what what would you like to contribute? The thing that struck me, everybody's right in terms of what they've come up with or contributed. So I, there's no point repeating all of that. I think the the most important thing that goes wrong with leadership development is hundred percent. I agree with you, Shannon, is that the management development isn't in place and it's not very thorough. 
I'm really focused on management development, creating like an unbelievable foundation and given COVID and all the changes that have happened, wouldn't be such a terrible thing for everybody to go through it. Right. You're, everybody's kind of a new manager in these days. Self-awareness was the first thing I heard that's so important and self building that in. Practicing based on what you become aware of are your strengths and gaps is really important. You know, filling the gaps and practicing. Social learning, being able to take experiences and learn from each other and share best practices accelerates the process. And time, just time between the section, the things you're trying to work on. Don't have the classroom time necessarily be so much, but give people time to practice and internalize what they're doing as they prepare for the next one. And if you elongate that process, but not, but keep the times short, you know, your favorite term is micro learning, you actually end up with a bigger impact. Yes. And, you know, you said something here that I thought was really important. The idea of going backwards to move forward, in essence. Now, I'm with you. I don't see that there's anything wrong with everyone participating in some level of leadership development or even management development. Those small little nudges that kind of reminds you of where you are supposed to be at in order to move forward. There's nothing wrong with a reminder in empathy or a reminder in emotional intelligence. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that sometimes we put a lot of weight on, you can't go backwards, you've already done that. And it feels remedial. I believe that if we took that feeling out of it, maybe it'd be more accepted. Just to that point, so much has changed that my biggest concern, I wouldn't say it's a complaint because I'm not that, um, familiar with everybody else's programs, but it's not current. It's not dealing with the pro- the way you know groups are structured, way work is structured, and the way offices are structured today. So there's a lot of changes that you have to adapt to that nobody's given been given a chance to work on. Right, right. I, you're absolutely right because you know the workplace has forever been changed, and how we work within those new parameters really does require us to go back and look at ourselves. How do we manage people in this new environment? How do we help people assist and support, et cetera? Because this is new. You may be a leader or a manager or a director for a very long time, but now it feels like it's all new again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's such a great point. And I I love that because that is something that we could take action on. You know, that is an easy conversation to have that I don't think anyone would be against right now, especially with, you know, there's a bajillion and one articles about how this new workplace needs to operate and then tackling it from that would be very beneficial. Okay, so yes, David, management ego may be a stumbling block. I agree with you. What do we say then? Let's let's talk about management ego, because that is absolutely a barrier here. We all know that organizational culture will eat strategy for lunch. We know this. So now, how can we move the needle on that particular type of cultural behavior where we've got managers who feel as though, well, I don't need to do this, you know, or this feels remedial to me. 
this is not my world, or I already do that, you know, all of the common refrains that we typically hear. So how do we go about handling that? How do we look at that sort of attitudes, those sorts of attitudes with fresh 21st century eyeballs? We use our engagement survey scores as a building block for that conversation to say, oh, that's fantastic that we feel that you're strong enough in that foundation. However, we have other evidence that might support that there's work that we can do together here to improve your team member's experience, right? Or you know, we don't ever want to let them know that we can see their results as well, but like even right. things that they're saying upwards about their own leader, right? And so I'm a very data-driven person. When I come to a conversation, I usually try to have like, this is what I'm going to use to back me up if I get any resistance. So having those types of things handy might be helpful. Right. And so how do you have that conversation? What does that conversation look like? I'm lucky enough to not have to do a lot of leadership coaching at that level. <laughs> I leave that to our engagement and performance and high performance teams, but we usually do try to say, you know, okay, well, let's like drill down on like, where's your part in this, right? Because it can't always be one-sided that your team member is just having this issue. And especially if, because we look at your entire team, your team gets a score. So it's somewhere on your team there's two sides to that. There's your part, their part. So absolutely right. Their part, your part. And so what are we missing in this? And a lot of times my conversation with them is what do you see happening in the wild? So when you're walking around, what are you observing? What are you seeing? And how can that be impacted? You know, so I I love that you guys are using engagement scores. I think that's really important. That's a really important area to look at. So thank you. David. Yeah, just to add to what Angie said too, it's about linking it to relevance, as other people have mentioned. It's about keeping updated, up to date with what's going on in the current world. And if you are a decent leader, you're going to want to because you may be feeling you really in a in a place now you're feeling really unsure and uncertain. I mean, for example, around using remote learning or um, remote working as an example, you've never had to manage a team remotely. So that's there's the learning. You're going back to basics again, as we've previous people have said. You're going back to basics because I know we're speaking to all the converted here. It's unlearning and relearning, and everybody, everybody has to go through that uncomfortable journey. And I suppose it's linking it to this place of discomfort that we need to embrace. That we we have to learn new stuff, and that's it's actually wonderful. And should be encouraged rather than seeing as a, a failure or remedial going backwards. It's actually fantastic to stay relevant and up to date. Yes. And actually, you said something that triggered a, a creative thought in my head. Instead of calling them, you know, like learning programs or any of those sorts of things, what if we tackled it from an unlearning perspective? So what if we said we're going to host a 60 minute unlearning of something X, Y, Z? That might be more intriguing. I don't know. That's just sort of a random. You said the word and I was like, bing. I wonder if. So maybe that's something that we can fly with. Who knows? Yes, Angie, learning and growth does not happen in the comfort zone. It does not. Learning is uncomfortable. If you're doing it right, learning is uncomfortable because you're stretching your mind, right? And that is an important, another important element that I think is important for leadership and the C-suite to understand. You know, learning is not easy. It shouldn't be easy. 
and putting people in that position to say, we want you to grow. We want you to feel a little vulnerable. We want you to feel a little uncomfortable is something that, you know, is not common, you know? So I think that that's yet another barrier that we need to hit. One of the things that I did want to ask you all is when we think about learning reinforcement, you think about nudges, you think about micro learning, et cetera. All of that comes from an L&D point. It comes from an L&D perspective. So now how can we shift that? Because I think a lot of the barriers that we hit from a leadership development perspective is that it's coming from L&D. Right. And they're like, oh, those people, they sit up there in that corporate office and in that space and they don't feel us. They don't know our world. And, you know, and subsequently, then you kind of get relegated to a corner, understandably so. So now how can we shift that needle to make it seem or to really make it an actuality, a reality that some of this, if not most of it, is coming from them? How do we make that happen? Let's take user-generated content, for example. Can we get managers to create more user-generated content that says this video, this audio clip, this article, this book review, it's coming from managers. It's not coming from learning and development. So how can we get managers more involved in that process? And is it worth it? I think you have to be a little, could be a little sneaky with that. And if you're really working closely with your higher level managers, you could give them those things as a hair. Why don't you share this with your people as your talking points, or if you're doing a social thing, why don't you post about this article and ask people questions? You can be really sneaky about how you do it. And then people perceive it as coming from their leader rather than from this corporate entity. Right. I like that. Sneaky is always good. I'm always good for a little sneaky you know, a little under the radar kind of stuff. And I think we can support. And so, yes, it's, Angie, it is that social learning. It's that being able to message from other areas of the business. And we can support that. We can be that underlying support and say, here's how we can help you, Mr. Manager, Mr. C-suite, Mr. or Mrs. Leader. You know, here you are. And use this article as a platform, as a jumping off point. So I like that idea, Jason, a lot. We can support and help them create this sort of social learning environment. What else have we got? I was thinking about what it would look like to have a more sustained social learning space for them after the program is over, right? Like we're talking about how can we get all of this stuff to be actually applied? How do we continue those conversations for the cohort? I think we have so many technology platforms that we can utilize to help us with that. But, you know, like who wants to spend money and implementing another thing into their learning tech stack, right? So how can we find ways to just like, here's your cohort, Continue meeting, because again, like if we start to prescribe those meeting spaces, it's still that push culture. We want them to just be openly sharing, like this is the thing that worked for me. I don't have a great answer to that yet, but I think I'm going to have to find that answer because we're going to be finished with our three cohorts from our new leadership development program. And so, hence why I'm here with y'all. Um. <laughs> the makeup of your cohorts is absolutely critical, Angie. So if you've got a very male-heavy cohort, they are more likely to connect uh, with each other than they will with the women in the cohort. 
they will connect with each other and ignore the woman, particularly if it's a, a leadership role. If you're looking at women primarily in a cohort, although they've got agency by being on the program, they don't necessarily feel they will have agency to connect. So you have to be very active in managing them as a community. Think of them as communities rather than networks and sell the message to them as communities because communities have empathy and you set an expectation around empathy with them. Strongly recommend if you read the work of a guy called Richard Millington, who's got an organization called Fever B, he talks about community and how you can manage communities. And there's some really, really useful stuff in there. He's talking about community in terms of online and in terms of bigger communities, but it's it absolutely relevant to your situation. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you for that, Andrew. Very helpful. Very helpful. Because I like the idea of of keeping those connections alive and even building new ones. And so if we think about social learning in of itself, and those of you who have, you've got Teams, you've got Slack, you've got some other sort of social enterprise network that you can carry messaging through. And then that's not new. They're used to being there. I already, you know, you already have your notes or you already have your team in Slack, let's say, then it's just a matter of adding another channel, you know, for shared information or shared knowledge or kind of a feed my brain or, you know, opinions wanted channel, feedback wanted channel, you know, so it's already there. So you're not creating this new tech stack and you're just carrying the conversations forward. So Laura, I see your hand. Yeah, I was just going to pick up a point from earlier from Angie, if I may and echo what Andrew said, but, but actually thinking it starts even earlier, because if you've got a cohort going through, it's not about how they finish and continue. It's actually how they were set up at the beginning. Oh. And in my previous role, we were using Microsoft Teams for two leadership cohorts, a smaller cohort of admittedly more senior people. They ran with it. They've been connecting. They've been meeting. They've been sharing resources. Absolutely no problem at all. A more junior group and much bigger also were set up on Microsoft Teams, but by myself. So this other group, before I'd even got to setting up a cohort for them, they'd already done it. They were off and running. And the one that I set up, even though I asked some people if they would be willing to sort of, you know, moderate it to come in to contribute to it and so on has just really died a death I don't know whether it's too big or whether they felt that they weren't sharing or they weren't getting any input from it but just to go to the point of saying Angie was that to in order for them to have a good network later I think you've got to build it during the program as well that is such a great point I hadn't thought about it like that I think we all intuitively know it but when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, now that you've said it out loud, that is so true. So true. So thank you for that. Great point. Tina. I love that point too, right? And where I'm struggling right now is we have a program where about 20 leadership leader people go through together in person, right? So they kind of build that relationship and they know each other. And now they're asking for, it's a three month program. And now they're asking for connections afterwards with past graduates even, right? So we've had six classes that's graduated over the last six years and getting them together. We don't want it to be just another meeting on the calendar that they need to go to. And we want it to be structured, right? We want it to have have value for them. And 
that's where we're struggling is we just don't want to put it on the calendar be like, okay, let's meet. What are we going to meet about? What do you want to talk about? And that's where we're struggling on how to get that off the ground. Great question, Andrew. Okay, so I would start it earlier than that, Tina. I wouldn't wait till the end of the program. And what I would do is build in a peer assessment throughout the program. So what you use, you use a previous cohort to assess the current cohort around some of the activities that you're doing. So you will have assessments and things that will be ongoing, but rather than you or your organization facilitating the assessment, set up your previous cohort as facilitators for this cohort. And then what you also do is you've set up this cohort to become assessors for the next cohort. And then what you're doing is you're building that chain through the organization from here all the way through. And it then becomes an ongoing activity and sets an expectation in terms of peer mentoring and so on. If you build it in as assessment, what you're also doing is spacing the learning out. Because what you're saying to the previous cohort is, we're going to ask you to help under, help these new people understand what's required. So you need to keep on top of the stuff. Ah. That's a great idea. So how might Tina make that work now? I think what you need to do now is to establish how they will work with the next cohort. So set an expectation. Ask them how can they help support the next cohort? How can they become assessors of what the next cohort will do? And then what you do is you reflect that comment directly back to the previous cohort and you say to them, we've got this cohort who really want to assess the next lot. Can you check up on them and make sure they're okay? Right. So then it becomes less of a meeting, more of a continuing of conversation. Yeah. And what you're in a position to do is to take from that cohort and go, well, what's the big stuff that matters here? Is it about people management? Is it about personal management? Is it about process activity? You can choose, depending on the cohort, what they're strongest at, or maybe what they're, they're not so strong at, as to what they would then become the assessors of in the next group. Great idea. Great idea. Thank you for that. So, Tina, I hope you found that helpful. I did. Thank you. Good, good. Now with cohorts, and I I love the idea of cohorts. I'm a big believer in community. And I like the way that Andrew phrased that community has, in essence, community has heart, community has soul, you know, versus what we might deem as a network. And then tying that back to what Laura was talking about, it's about how it's all set up at the beginning and how do you thread those conversations. So now what I'm interested in is Is it that, you know, leadership development programs typically take on this life of you might have some action learning sets, you may have a couple of weeks of some kind of formalized training, and maybe you pick up a conversation down the line a little bit. So could it be now that when we think about building leadership development programs, that it's the focus moves from the class to the cohort? Is that a possibility? What do you think? I love this conversation because you're right. This is where we so often fall. It falls down, right? The company has invested money in the program if we're using something external and then, okay, that's over, right? Or it's gone going. And that's been a question between me and my my director a lot is how do we keep this going? So I absolutely agree. It's super important it's just going to require a lot of intentionality and somebody assigned to make sure it's still happening. If it's nobody's accountable, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's going to require a role in the company, right? Or whoever's responsible Mm -hmm. for leadership development to consider that part of their job as well. Right. I think so. And if we take Andrew's point from earlier, if we built, if we build it, they will come. 
<laughs> we know that's not true. If we build a leadership development program where the foundation is the cohort rather than the program, and we start setting this up for um, social learning and more informal learning, and we take people who are in previous classes, right, and we thread them into that cohort so the conversations have places to jump off of and ideas to bounce off of, then what we're doing is we're bringing relevance into the cohort, we're bringing community into the cohort, we're bringing shared experiences and shared work into the cohort. So then it becomes less a leadership development program than it does leadership as it should be. Senior leaders don't like going on courses. Senior leaders like networking with other people. And if you're building the opportunity for them to network in a community, they will feel they're getting more value from it. I agree with you. I agree with you. So maybe when we, you know, the beginning question here that we started with, other than barriers and challenges, was if we put on our 21st century, you know, rose-colored glasses, what does the program look like moving forward? And based on what I'm hearing from you, it seems as though we do need to take away the mentality that the program, you know, is the scaffold. You know, the program is the end-all be-all, right? It's not the program, it's the people within the program are the end-all be-all. So building it from that perspective of the community of leaders Right. So you're building a community of leaders and through that they learn. So maybe it's that perspective and perhaps it's us unlearning what we know or what we've been you know, beat into as far as what leadership development program should be. What do you think? Yeah, I was just thinking about what, like specifically what you were saying that the cohort slash community themselves are the foundation versus the course and its content that if they truly come into this thinking that these peers and myself are what is going to make this a great learning experience, they will naturally look to each other and use the course content as a supplement. Right. Right. And so that's what we want, right? We will provide them guidance through those supplements that, hey, we're going to unlearn some bad behaviors. We're going to learn some new behaviors. You all are going to try those hats on and share what worked, what didn't especially in our company culture, right? Through that lens. And then they'll just continue to iterate that and work it into their process or not based on their, their experiences of trying it out. Exactly, exactly. Thank you for that. And Amy, I see your comment too here, you know, like a flipped classroom approach. It, it almost is, isn't it? Right, Amy? Yeah, and you know, the other thing that really came into my mind is the manager is so critical. If the manager of the people in the course aren't coaching, don't know how to do that, don't know how to give feedback, don't know how to give career discussions, you know, we almost need to start there. Get our managers of people adept in those skill sets. And then all of these ideas that we're talking about can work, you know, put them in the cohorts and then the managers checking in with them. We don't have to do as much because the manager and the person 
are doing all the work. We're just giving some guidance and help and support along the way. But I think part of where it falls down is if we don't have good managers of these folks, it's like anything. They go back and it was great. Thank you very much. And they forget or they don't get supported in trying out those new things. Right. Right. That's where we started our conversation earlier, right? It was that culture will eat strategy every day of the week. We know that. And it's about how do we keep the culture healthy? So Laura, I, what would you like to contribute? Yeah, I was just uh, picking picking up from what Amy said. And it's sort of, you know, and this is such a rich discussion. It's really helping. What was interesting and really good to hear other people's views. I'm not sure if a manager, if I was going into a community of learning, that I would go in ill-informed because I'm around my peers. Mm -hmm. Actually, are we being radical enough to say we don't almost have to provide so much of the the management training because actually they will be self-invested in actually looking the things up themselves? Or is that too radical an idea? I'm not trying to throw everything out, but I'm really trying to challenge myself here based on this discussion of, you know, if we're really saying it's a community of learning that is is going to move forward, how much can we strip out? Uh, You know what? I think that that would be a great thing to test. I really do. You know, throw what we think we know about leadership development to the side, maybe not out the window, but maybe to the side and say, what if we tried this? What's the harm? You know, so let's try this for a little bit and see what happens, because I agree with you. There might be some people who come in and maybe they really don't know what they don't know. And they're coming in completely open and completely spudgy. But there are going to be those people who want to be prepared. And, you know, so when their name is called or when when their ping comes up, they, they want to be able to contribute. And there's always going to be those people in that environment. So, you know what? Push that envelope and see if it's contagious. That's what I would see. You know, that's what I would try to get out of this. And I like here when we talk about tourists treating them like tourists here in the chat where, you know, everybody likes a souvenir. So maybe the slide is a souvenir or the workbook is a souvenir. I I like that idea, you know, so I think that that could be a fun way to, to build that. And so now here we are at the top of the hour yet again, after a very fun and lively and informative, this was really informative. I hope you felt it too, because I have lots of notes here. To be able to take away, and I hope that you have one action item. So here's what I would like you to do before we leave. Really quickly, take a moment and think about what action item or what idea sparked for you that you're going to either do some research on or ponder on or talk to somebody about after our conversation today. The use of the C-suite into the program, I like it. Andrew's idea about using the previous cohorts to kind of assess and and help the next cohort along and really build that continuous motion of learning and and relearning. I have actually done that. I've gotten 
previous cohorts involved as mentors in the next group. And they love the program so much, you know, they don't want to say no. I even had them as sponsor. One wanted to be a sponsor for an action learning project. So once they go through it and they're engaged in that, they want to keep up that momentum. So however you could involve them in the next program, I think it works well. Excellent. So it seems like that was the idea of the hour as long as as well as being able to create a community that self-learns. And I think that that's a wonderful idea. And I appreciate everybody's contributions today. Everybody was fabulous and generous with your sharing. So thank you so much for that. So on that note, again, thank you, everyone. And I hope that you all have a wonderful weekend. I appreciate your contributions and I look forward to seeing you at the next chat. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where we discussed why leadership development programs fail. Yowza, was this a conversation or what? So the big takeaway today, if you were listening, you know there were several outstanding points to consider, but let's focus on two. One, creating leadership development programs as a one-size-fits-all mechanism, rather than considering the people and the business impact. Now this dovetails with point number two. We fail to create leadership programs around people. We create them around what seems to be bullet points, creating a program around a series of classes and not taking people and people capability into consideration. So is it time for a shakeup? Clearly, yes. The emperor isn't wearing any clothes, people, and it's time to take a rebellious eye to leadership development programs. Be sure to download the chat box transcription as there were many ideas on how to do just that. As a reminder, all of the resources will be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future chats. Now you want to join in on this live conversation? Well, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up and you will get the invite. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.